This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. So today I'm going to be talking about um, how to flip the script on a pattern that is really bad for most marriages, which is called scorekeeping. So this is that tit-for-tat sort of uh, dynamic that develops when everybody's looking out for themselves and trying to see how they are doing more and they are the one who is suffering more and they are the one who is giving more and they are just all around the one who should be receiving all of the uh, empathy and sympathy in the marriage because they're doing so much compared to the other person. Now, Obviously, from the way that I am framing this, you can see how this probably isn't accurate, right? I mean, people see things through their own lenses. People are not objective about their own situations or really about anything. There's the myth of the rational actor in economics and obviously in psychology. People see things that they want to see. So... If you are the one who says, I do everything around here, my spouse doesn't do anything. Um, Now, this can go both sides. So, like, I see this particularly with men and women where the woman's a stay-at-home parent, right? So the man would, on his end, say, I make all the money. I worry about the finances. I'm the only one who has to get up and, and get out of the house in the morning. I bust my ass all the time. And what does she do, right? And so she doesn't do this. She doesn't do this. The house is a mess. The kids run wild. What? Whatever. And then on her end, she may say, I do everything around here. He doesn't even know where the kids, uh, you know, dentist is located. He is completely oblivious to the things that they need at preschool or regular school. I am the one who always does the school shopping. I am the one who knows what they want for snack, etc. Right. So in this case, you could see how the marriage would be very um, badly impacted by both of these partners' dysfunctional beliefs that they are, in fact, the one who is uh, more valued, more that adds more value to the family unit, and that they are the one deserving of more empathy because it's really a very short uh, leap to the idea that they should get more privileges because they suffer more. So, for example, the man would say, I do all of this stuff supporting our family and we don't even have sex, right? Thus creating the this setup where he should deserve sex because he suffers so much, which as you can imagine, women don't respond well to that. And then on the other end, the woman may say something like, uh, well, I'm home with the kids all the time, so I deserve to have time to myself to relax, which does not include you. I deserve to basically do whatever I want um, in the evenings, including not to be with you and basically not be a partner to you. So that, of course, is also very unhealthy. So if any of this sounds like you 
And oh, by the way, of course, and I'll link to this, there's also dynamics where it's a competitive marriage uh, where both people work, right? And then it's who is juggling more, who is working and then doing more with the kids, who is cleaning more, who cares more about the long-term financial goals of the couple, et cetera, et cetera. So this can be in any sort of dynamic. And of course, also where the man is the stay-at-home partner. I have a post I could link to about that. Um, So in all of these situations, there's a very binary black and white way of viewing the world, which is a victim perpetrator mentality that is usually really always learned in the family of origin. You know, if, if this stuff rolls off your tongue to be a martyr and to say, I do so much and you do so little, I am treated worse than you. And if this is very subconsciously familiar and this is your comfort zone to talk and think like this, then you have to think about why. And usually this is because there was a victim perpetrator or a martyr uh, dynamic in your family of origin. So what would this look like? It would look a lot like what you are doing right now, except maybe, you know, tweak tweak the roles of the parents or how much money you have or, or whatever. So this would be the mother who says, I do everything around here, God damn it. Or the father who says, look at her living the life of luxury while I bust my ass to pay the bills or whatever else. Okay, so this is fighting, you know, there's a lot of whether it's like real overt screaming or there's just like these little, little snide barbed remarks. This is what you saw growing up if this is familiar to you. And sometimes like let's say you had a single parent, it would be another version of a black and white mentality such that this person is always suffering. Everyone is out to get them. If you grow up with a parent where everybody's out to get them, you got to go back and think about whether that was true because the uh, influence of that sort of belief system is really powerful and insidious and can seep into your thinking without you even knowing it so that you also engage in similar negativistic styles where there's this real paranoid flavor to how you think about the world. Like everybody is out to get everybody and this is a dog-eat-dog world and you have to be this kind of scrappy survivor. I mean, there's parents and you'll know this if it was your parents who make like a trip to the bank or a trip to the grocery store into some kind of like tragic uh, narrative. So it sounds like Odysseus's journey over here, you know, where like, well, I asked the teller for change. And she didn't want to give me change. So I didn't give up. I went to her boss and I said this. And I think, you know what, that she's going to get fired and she would deserve it because that's not how you treat a customer. Now, if you, if, if this sort of um, storytelling where there's always a good guy, which invariably is the parent telling the story, and a bad guy, which is either the other parent or the world at large, Um, If this resonates with you, think about how this bleeds into the subconscious of a child that's perennially exposed to this sort of, you know, really caricatured vision of the world. So as an adult, 
So first of all, as a teenager, that child's probably going to have problems with either friends or school or authority or within intimate relationships because they have this binary, again, in their head of good versus bad, good versus evil, these biblical type of stories. And of course, if you're raised very religious, this can also contribute right? Because there are ways to be religious and mentally healthy. And there are ways just like with anything to be unhealthy and to instead be very religious and very rigid in your thinking and have a lot of these good versus evil um, framings in your mind and transmit that in your storytelling, right? So if you grew up like this, then as a teenager, you probably had problems, right? Seeing like, oh, that teacher is out to get me. Or this friend is uh, never like me anyway, and now they're, they're uh, always trying to bring me down. Or this boyfriend I can't trust because he did whatever, whatever. Whatever it was. You know, and then in your marriage, you are really uh, bound to see things similarly. Such that you are the victim and the spouse is the perpetrator. Now, if you are partnered with somebody who was raised similarly, which so many people are, because, you know, I mean, if, if you're not emotionally healthy in certain ways, who's going to be drawn to you? People similar. The emotionally healthy people, you're going to tell them something like something where they're the bad guy and you're the good guy. And instead of trying to defend themselves, they're just going to get out of dodge because this shit sounds crazy to them. But the ones who remain are the ones that also kind of understand this way of viewing the world and will fight you to then be for, for you to think they're the victim. So then it's a big fight about who's the bigger victim. And this really only happens in families or in couples where both partners were raised with this sort of black and white, me versus you mentality. Because again, people who are not raised like that are not going to understand it. It's going to seem crazy to them and they're going to get the hell away from it. So this is how kind of people with issues self-select, you know, similar partners, and then their issues exacerbate one another's issues. This is how we end up with the pursuer-distancer relationships, where one is preoccupied attachment, one is avoidant, and then they engage in that dance forever. Neither partners with somebody securely attached, at least until later in life when they could potentially have worked on their issues, because the securely attached people are going to be like not into the drama. So anyway, going back to the scorekeeping idea, there is a way to really flip this script, which would be that for a week. And I talk about this in a post that I wrote about this, but we'll expand on it here. And I'll link you to that in the description. But anyway, for a week, you could try to give more than you get, you know, and you could actually try to not be uh, counting up and tallying every little thing that you do more than that person. You could be trying with a like holistically to with an open heart, give more than you get, like you probably do with your kids. You know, with your kids, hopefully you don't say, well, I fed you breakfast, then I fed you lunch, then I fed you dinner, says three for me, you didn't feed me any meals, zero for you, you suck, I win. No, that's crazy, right? Now, don't delude yourself by the way that you will not, if you don't work on this now, you may engage in these sorts of patterns with adult children, and I see it all the time. When they're your actual child, they're in a protected sphere, but then when they move out, they become more like a peer in your mind, and then the toxic scorekeeping starts there. How many times are you going to your in-laws instead of to me on Christmas? Who did you call first to tell that you were married, your sister or me? Or, oh my God, somebody else. 
or how frequently are you visiting me versus how often am I visiting you? How often do the other, do the in-laws see the grandchildren versus how often am I, am I allowed in the hospital room when you give birth? No. Well, how about that your sister let me? Don't think that you won't be drawn to this type of crazy shit. Work on it now so that it doesn't end up like that with your children. But that is, again, related, but not the focus of this episode. What we're talking about is can you flip this script and actually try to give more than you get with a full heart? If you do this, frequently your partner will not know what hit them. They will finally be receiving the sort of unconditional love that that they wanted because, yeah, you could make dinner every night, but if you hold it over your spouse's head and bring it up every few months, then that's not love. They don't experience it as love. They experience it as some sort of weird control martyr shit, right? The other way to flip the script is to actually start scorekeeping in the other direction and tally up even to the point of writing down what your partner does for you every day. And this can be really, really eye-opening because we all know very positive, happy, emotionally healthy people and how they talk about loved ones, right? So these are the women that they say, oh, my husband's so great. He works so hard for our family. Then he plays with the kids and, you know, he still makes time for us as a couple. That exact man, if he was partnered with a different woman who viewed things through more of a black and white victim perpetrator lens, she could say, he's out at work all day, you know, leaving me with everything to do. He gets home and yeah, he plays fun dad, big whoop, goes out and plays catch. And uh, yeah, I guess who still wants to get laid. The same man could be viewed so differently. Similarly with a stay-at-home mom, let's just use that easy example, there's different sorts of men that view it so differently. One man would be like, thank, thank God that she has everything under control at home and that she's fun and spontaneous. I never have to worry about the children having a boring or sad childhood. She, has, uh, she plays with them. She does all of these things. The house, thankfully, isn't a museum like mine was and it really looks lived in and played with. And on top of that, she always does little cute things for me. Same woman with a man who has a more negative style. He could say, house is a fucking mess. I bust my ass all day. I come home, crafts all over, garbage, there's glitter. Who the hell wants to deal with this? My mother kept the house clean. She can't even do that. She is, she leaves me a little note now and then. You know what I really want? I want sex. So what does that cute little note do? I rather her never do it again. And it said, give me what I really want. Like how about a clean house and some sex, right? So that guy was obviously raised in a very different home than the previous one. The woman is the same woman. So, and this leads into, by the way, uh, another post that I've written, which is how would all other people respond to your partner, which I'll link you to. But anyhow, what you can do is actually make a list of the things that if you were trying to be positive and not trying to be a martyr, things that you would tell other people that your spouse does for you, right? And not add it in with your like passive aggressive, well, of course he could do that because I set it up because I do this, you know, so not, yeah, he goes to work and provides for the family, but he can only do that because I stay home. Not that. So it would be, he goes to work and provides for the family. He's a loving father. He uh, does chores around the house or home project. He's a sweet guy in general to friends and family, whatever it is, right? So you can tally this stuff up without tallying your stuff up. 
right? So, uh, so many people are looking at themselves as a victim that this is almost impossible to do. When you're used to the victim mentality, it's like really you're like paralyzed. You're like, but wait, but he, yeah, I mean, I guess like he, uh, you know, does go to work, but, uh, 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 but don't do that. Just say literally he goes to work and provides for a family. Good. All right. That's one. Can you get some more? Likely yes, right? If the children like him, there's one. On the other side, if it's a man who is thinking about his wife and has the um, common one for men if she doesn't sleep with me enough, what else does she do, right? I'm sure she does a lot of other things. Do the children love her? Do other people seem to like her? Is she a good person in her heart? Does she have good intentions? Are you ever worried about what would happen if you would drop dead to the children? Probably not. She would have that under control. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at somebody, and when you're used to looking at them through a lens of negativity and blame, it can be very, very hard to open up your mind to the fact that that isn't accurate. That isn't like what is real. There is no real, right? There's only our subjective lens through which we view the world. If you were to follow your partner around with a video camera, do you think 100% of people would say, oh, that is the, quote, worst partner in this relationship, that's very, very unlikely. If you are with somebody that is substance using, that is abusive, that is violent, get out. You need to get out of that. If, if truly you know in your heart that 100% of people would say, yes, of course, that is the worst partner, and why is this person still with this partner, then you need to get out of that. And if you don't, then that is something that that you deeply need to work on in therapy, right? But the majority of people are not in any sort of situation like that. They're in a situation where if there was a video of what went on in their house, probably 50% of people would think that each partner was the catch. I mean, that's just honestly the truth of it. And if you want to start thinking of your partner as a catch, score keep, but write down all the things that they are doing instead. You can get to like 10 things before, you know, 8 a.m. In most uh, couples with kids, they got up, they were pleasant, they tried to give me a hug, they engaged with the kids nicely, they mentioned something about some uh, bill they're going to pay or something for the house that they're going to do. I mean... It doesn't really take a lot if you really train your brain to focus on positive things, then you will. If you train your brain to focus on negative things because this is how you were raised, then you will do that. Now, this is such an important point, but if you can even remotely flip the script like this, recognize that you would be a good candidate for cognitive behavioral therapy because the stuff that I talk about on these podcasts is really an outgrowth of that and you then have the capacity to move the needle on some of your dysfunctional, long-held beliefs. And that is really what therapy does when it works, is it moves the needle on these long-held beliefs that you hold close to your heart, such as, I am the victim, I am the one who deserves the praise and the sympathy. And then if you can even 1% of you be like, wait, hold on, maybe that's not true. 
Maybe some people would think that my husband slash wife deserves the praise and the sympathy. That little opening, that inflection point can be the transformative moment for you. So think about it this whole week. Like I tell my clients for assignments, think about this idea this week. What if other people might think I was the problem and that my spouse was actually doing more? How would that change how I think? Is there a world in which my spouse is actually doing a lot of stuff? Even more than me and some people might actually think that. Anyway, I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to at least a slightly different way of envisioning this toxic dynamic that many people sink into. I will link you as usual to anything that I think would expand, um, you know, give a little more depth and flavor to this topic. And please subscribe. If you're a paid subscriber, the next one that I'm going to um, record, I want to record one about reparenting. That's a real uh, popular topic, how reparenting works within a marriage. You know, this is actually healthy for each person to receive kind of the emotional parenting that they never got uh, from the spouse. But that one's going to be one of my bonus episodes next. And please subscribe. It's only $5.99 a month. And follow me on Facebook. Follow DrPsychMom.com. And I'll talk to you guys soon.